We'll finish up chapter 3 here tonight. We also get into Paul's second prayer, Epistle of the Ephesians. In the first part, Paul discusses the ages. We saw that each age has unique characteristics that needed to be understood and walked in. Our age, of course, has the priesthood of the believer, the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the church as the body of Christ, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand all those things and be walking in them. We also looked at what was true physically has no bearing on spiritual or positional truth. We looked at some of the basis for that, how it was that the principalities and powers are in the air above us, yet we are over them. Just because something is true physically does not mean it has any bearing on what is spiritually true or what is positionally true. As we ended verses 8, 9, and 10, let me read them to you. To me, who in less than least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So those last verses are part of the same sentence as where we're starting out here today, so it would just help us to, to read them. But God was going to make his wisdom known to the principalities and powers that are in the heavenly places by the church. And that would be us. Now all this was done according to God's eternal purpose, which means he didn't suddenly come up with this. This has been a purpose he's had since the, since the beginning. Eternal purpose. So according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, that purpose was accomplished through, that's past tense, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. A lot is set on this particular part of, the, of this verse here in 12. In Christ, it says, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. So, in Him, we are to have that boldness. Now, if you have boldness... Little children are very often very bold. They don't know enough to not be. And so little children will often say things that make us cringe. Oh, you shouldn't have asked that question. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Sometimes you go over to somebody's house at dinner and the little kids are there and the thing is served. Oh, I don't like this. This is yucky. Now, you may be thinking that, but you probably wouldn't say it. But they have that boldness that comes on out uh, because they don't have the same things holding them back that you do. Christians pick up some things in their walk that causes them to not have the same boldness or access with confidence through faith in Him. And you'll hear this in a lot of the prayers of believers. Oh God, please just grant me this one request. I won't ask anything more. 
please just heal me of this one disease, I'll bear the other two. We don't have that boldness, we don't have that confidence. We're trying to talk God into something. We're hoping that He's in a good mood, that He might look favorably upon us. Sometimes we begin to recite some of the things that we have done for His kingdom to try and help persuade the, the argument. And there is no boldness and there is no confidence. Now, boldness is not brashness. Boldness is understanding that I can just walk right on in. I can just step right on and do that. It's kind of like um, if you ever had a store that you went to as a young child and the back room was always that area that, well, we don't, we, you don't go there. We were raised up, you don't go in the back room. The back room is off limits. But when you became employed by that place, suddenly the back room is not off limits anymore and you can have boldness to go back in, into there. Uh, you may not want to go behind the counter because behind the counter is, is not for us, it's employees only. And so we, we don't do that. Now, somebody who's not employed, they just wander around behind the, the counter. They're not bold. They have a brashness about them. They don't have a respect that's there. God wants us to have a boldness, not a brashness. He does not want us to disregard the things of God. He wants us to have an understanding of the things of God and to walk in that, in that boldness. If you, were, if you were young, little kids, and you're over at a friend's house, and you wanted to do something that needed parental permission, well, who would be elected to go and confront or ask the parent? What would be the child that lives there? There's, there's more of a confident boldness that they would have approaching the parent than you would have as somebody from the outside. And so, they're generally the ones who are going to ask, well, ask your dad, ask your mom if we can do this. And so they would step on out there and to, and to do that. Now, I wrote this in your outline for you. What is boldness outside of Christ? What is boldness outside of faith in Christ? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, people who don't know God, they have a boldness, they have a brashness with the things of God, with the, uh, with the Word, They'll, they'll say things about the Word. They'll say things about ministers. They'll say things about God. They'll say things about eternity. There's a brashness that's there. But they have a boldness or a brashness that's based on assumption, self-righteousness, ignorance, disrespect, and you can probably keep naming a bunch of other words in there. You can have this kind of boldness, or it looks like boldness, but it's really just being brash, because you've assumed some things. Because self, we're self-righteous. I see myself as not needing God. I'm okay the way I am. God won't send me to hell. I haven't done anything bad. I could be ignorant of His Word. I could just disrespect His Word. And there's a, there's a boldness that we have. We saw that Pharaoh had a boldness with the things of God. I mean, that's pretty bold to send your army into the Red Sea when it's parted, that's, that's bold. But there was no foundation behind it, and it didn't work out so well for him. And there's a lot of unsaved people who will make declarations, and they will say things, I dare God to do this. There is no God. God can't do this. God won't do this. They'll make these declarations, and sometimes we just cringe because of that. 
Goliath came out and was bold before the children of Israel. David saw that and said, Ah, you have been bold in the wrong way. You don't know God, and yet you're trying to come before God and, and make these uh, declarations. But God wants us to have boldness. If we don't approach the throne, if we don't approach Him with boldness, we are not approaching it the way we're supposed to. If we approach it with what we label as humbleness, meekness, they're not actually, but if we approach in that way, we're just not understanding the word. We're just not understanding what he would, would have us to, to say. If a child were to come up to the parent and make a request and then cringe or put his hands up, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to get, like I don't want to get hit. Well, that would lead you to the assumption that this parent has been abusive, that there's some harshness that's going on there. And the parent may see that and understand that's what's being transferred. Why, why are you doing that? Well, I don't want you to hit me. But you've never hit them before. But see, sometimes Christians are coming up and they're approaching God in such a way that we give the world the impression that God is harsh. God is mean. God is uh, unjust. But He wants us to approach Him with boldness because this not only says things about us as we approach Him, but it says things to the world. How we approach our God and what we do with Him. Well, I can go before God. When Daniel told the, the king, well, if you need something from God, I can go get it. He wasn't brash. He was confident. He was knowing, well, if I go before God, He'll give it to me. And he went before God and says, God, we need to, we need to know this. We didn't know what was going on here. And so they, God gave him that, and he came on back, and he was very humble before the, the king and said, uh, these things belong to God, but God has seen fit to give this to me. This was your dream. And he spoke it out. And there have been others, not just him, but other places in Scripture that you can, you can begin to see this. Christians, without boldness, don't know God or his son Jesus. For Christians to not be bold and to have confidence in the presence of God, they either don't know God or they don't know His Son or probably both. Because if I know God and if I know His Son, I know how He wants us to approach. I know what He wants us to do. And I operate that way because He desires it. He wants us to, to be that way. If a, if a son or a daughter came and they approached their father and they approached him in a way that he didn't want. Oh, master. What, what, why you call me that? No, just call me dad. I, I don't want to be called that. You want to be called the, the thing that you want. And, uh, you know, in our, our household, Nikolai has uh, elected to be Papa. And so the, the children refer to him as, as that. They have friends who refer to their uh, father as dad. But they don't ever refer to, to, to Nikolai as anything but Papa because that's what he's elected to, to do, to be, uh, to be called. God has said, this is how I want you to approach me. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to operate. And for us to operate in any other way is to go against the will that God has said that he has. So make sure that when we come that we access Him with boldness, 
in confidence. The only way I can have that confidence is to know Him, and we have that confidence through faith in Him. I have a confidence, I have a faith in my God that my God desires me to be healed. My God desires that I be forgiven. My God desires that I go to heaven. My God desires good things for me. That we have a good God. This is something that we need to understand and have that confidence in. You cannot have confidence in what you don't know. So we're to learn the Word of God, study the Word of God in such a way that I gain that confidence. This is what God said. This is what He wants me to do. This is how He wants me to go about doing it. Have that confidence in Him. Verse 11, According to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So therefore, on the basis of this, on the basis of the eternal purpose, on the basis of what He accomplished through Jesus Christ, on the basis that we're supposed to have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations. He says, I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulations. Paul was going through some tribulations. He was going through some beatings, some imprisonments. People were putting him in chains. There were riots that were going around. And they were seeing this. And they, and some of them were losing heart. They were getting discouraged. Well, why is it that Paul has to go through this? If Paul dies, what's going to stop me from dying? If Paul gets uh, um, taken by, out by this persecution, how am I going to stand? He says, he says, don't lose heart at my tribulations for you. So his chains, his beatings, such things, they could, they could discourage them. What happens here is they're looking at what's going on with Paul and they're saying, God, he's serving you. You've given him revelation. You've given him understanding. He's going out and he's teaching us these things. We need to know these things. We need to learn these things. You put them here for a purpose. Why would these things be happening? So, when I begin to encounter things that I think should not happen, it can cause me to lose heart. We see this constantly. When a, when a storm comes up, when a volcano erupts, and wipes out a town, when tsunamis happen, when persecution arises, when things are put out as mandates by authorities, and people in countries suffer persecution. They suffer from the, the things that these leaders have, have put out. And we look at this and say, this shouldn't happen. When I see things that happen in my own body, and I say, but the, but the Word of God says that I am healed. Why is this happening in my body. Why is this going on? This shouldn't go on. This is what the Word of God says. And I can begin to lose heart because what I am seeing going on doesn't jive with what I believe should be happening. And I can become discouraged. He says here, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart at my tribulations. Don't lose heart at the things that you don't understand. Don't lose heart at something that's going on in the body of Christ or to the body of Christ. 
Just because you don't have the understanding of it doesn't mean that you should lose heart. Now these events, when we see events like this, when I have something going on in my body, when I have something going on in my family, when I have something going on in my country, my state, my, my job, wherever it might be, something is going on and I don't understand why. Whenever that goes on, these events can usually produce doubt-generating questions. They produce doubt-generating questions. Why did this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God help me? Or the one favorite one for people, why did God allow this? You can keep on going on with the questions. There are people who say there are no stupid questions. We did a series on questions before. I've mentioned to a few people. I'm thinking of resurrecting that and going back into it sometime down the road. But you ask the wrong questions, you will generate the wrong thing. There are stupid questions. There are bad questions. There are questions that should never be asked. Don't ever believe that there's not a bad question. There are. If the devil can get you to ask a bad question, he can usually get you to go in a wrong direction. When he, back in the garden, when he approached Eve, he got her to ask a bad question. Has God really said? I don't know. Has God really said that? Well, I look at the tree. I see the tree is good for food. We begin to question. They began to question. Bad questions led to bad actions. Bad questions lead to bad thoughts, wrong thoughts. They lead to thoughts that are not faith-filled thoughts. We need to take authority over the bad questions and cast them out. I put this in your outline for you. Faith does not lose heart or form doubt questions. Faith does not lose heart, nor does it form doubt questions. When we start finding faith that's losing heart, we have left the faith walk. We're going off into something else. The God kind of faith does not lose heart. The man kind of faith does. When I have confidence in what man says, when I have confidence in what man does, that faith can lose heart. When I have learned what my God has said, when I learn how true my God is, I don't lose heart. God, you said this. This is what you said in your word, and I believe it, and I'm holding true to this. I'm not moving from it. Faith does not lose, does not lose heart, nor does it form doubt questions. Be careful of the questions that are that you allow to form inside of you. Sometimes they're not just questions that seem to be faith questions. We'll ask questions like, does this person really care for me? Remember the uh, episode on the, on the boat and the disciples are bailing out the water and they eventually come down and they ask Jesus the question, Master, don't you care that we perish? Well, you see where they have to get to to ask that question. There had thoughts that brought them along to, does this person even care for us? The enemy will do this with family members, spouses, kids, close friends, church members. He tries to get us to question, well, do they really care for me? 
and I begin to entertain it based on things that are being brought to my mind, that are brought to my remembrance. I forget the things of old, and I'm looking at my interpretation of what's going on now. And I leave what the Word of God tells me to do, believe the best in people. No, I don't think I'm going to believe the best now. I'm going to believe the worst. Because I see this, I hear this, but don't go after that. Don't go in that direction. He continues on here in verse 16. This is the prayer. Let's read uh, 15 again, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, for what reason? That you don't lose heart. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, which is your glory. He's concerned that they're losing heart. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Don't lose sight of why he's praying this. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. He's praying for this. If you're losing heart somewhere, that inner strength is going away. I'm losing the battle in that, in that area. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Not what you have access to in your own self. According to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In the inner man, I am to be strengthened with might. The word strengthened there, <clears throat> kratos, has to do, one of the aspects of it is ruling power. And this is what he referred to earlier in this chapter, that everything is put under the feet. There is a ruling authority that is there. Principalities and powers, we are to make known to them. That's authority. And so here's he's referring back to us. There's a couple of meanings you can get from Kratos. But because of the context here, in the context he's talking about things being put under our feet. He's talking about making known the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. We're looking at a authority that is there, but also dunamis is involved here in this verse. So kratos, that we would be strengthened in dunamis with might. Now, that is just a, an inward power, inward strength that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You need to know who you are and rise up to it. When you begin to lose heart, you begin to lose sight of who you are. You begin to lose sight of who God made you. You begin to lose sight of where the victory is. Because I'm losing heart. I'm thinking, I don't have the victory. It seems like from everything that I'm seeing, from everything that I'm hearing, all the reports that are coming to me, I don't have the victory. And I begin to lose heart. And the, the opposition begins to, to, to wear you down. You could start off really, really strong. But the opposition can wear you down. It, you're capable of far more. But the opposition, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. Things that you don't quite understand. Things that you begin to question. Things that you aren't sure of. It begins to wear you down. It begins to... You, you, you started off real, real strong. And you knew you were going to face some things, but you didn't know it was going to be quite like this. You didn't know it was going to be quite this, this hard. And so you keep treading on, and you keep treading on, 
But, <laughs> oh man, huh? oh, I'm just getting a little tired. I'm just getting a little wore down from this. Oh, it just seems like every time I seem to make some headway, bam, here comes another report. Bam, here comes another pain. Bam, here comes another person not doing what I need them to do. Here comes another thing going wrong. Here, somebody I love, somebody I care for, just has another tragedy coming in their life. And one after another begins to wear you down and begins to, to, to take you down. Oh, I tell you, that can become discouraging. You know you're capable of doing it. You know from the Word, I can do this thing. I can keep on going. But oh, it's wearing you down. It's, it's holding you back. And uh, it, what can you do? You've got to just keep on pressing on. Don't lose heart. He's saying, I'm praying for you for this, that you would be strengthened in the inner man. On the inside, you would rise up. Right now, you're very focused on what's on the outside. You're very focused on what's not going right. You're very focused on the things that are happening in your job. Very focused on the things that are happening in your world. Very focused on the forces that are coming against you. But be strengthened with might in the inner man. That's what he's praying for. That he would grant you. He says, I'm praying this. I'm praying for you. I'm praying, Father, grant to them according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through your spirit in the inner man. I'm praying for your inner man. I'm praying for you to be, be stronger here. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now Paul prays the first prayer after teaching what God did for us in Christ in eternity past. That was the basis of the first prayer. This second prayer comes after teaching of God's foreknowledge of separating us as a special people to demonstrate His wisdom to Satan and his forces. God's foreknowledge of separating us as a special people to demonstrate His wisdom to Satan and his forces. Satan doesn't, is not going to like that. He's not going to like a weaker vessel being used against him that is defeating him. He doesn't like that. He sees us as inferior creatures. He is an angel. He is an angelic being. They can do many things better than we can. But we were granted authority and they were put under our feet. So this ruling power, this strength is to come up on the inside that we would begin to rule and not be ruled. That we would make known the wisdom of God to principalities and powers and the principalities and powers are not pushing us over. It is the principalities and powers that go ahead to stir up human forces against us. To stir up leaders to do things. To stir up friends and family to act against us. To stir up what is around us, as it was with the disciples, the wind stirred up the waves. And the waves were coming in the boat. And sometimes we're going down through our life and we're feeling a lot of waves coming into the boat. And how did Jesus deal with the waves coming into the boat? The disciples, they faced it with strength and power only. But he faced it with authority. 
And he took authority over all that. We have authority over principalities and powers and we need to walk in that. So the second prayer comes after teaching of God's foreknowledge of separating us as a special people to demonstrate his wisdom to Satan and his forces. So read this again, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now the word there for dwell, this word means to be at home. That Christ would dwell or Christ would be at home in our hearts by faith. There are, there's a difference between being in a home and being, <clears throat> being at home. When you are at your home, there is a certain comfort level that you have. You feel very comfortable to get up and get something out of the refrigerator. You feel very comfortable putting your feet on the table. You feel very comfortable. Some people like to take their shoes off. I am not one of those people. But I know people who when they come into the house, they like to take their shoes off. That for them is relaxing. There are some people who like to have uh, nighttime clothes. Some people call them pajamas. Or some kind of relaxing wear or some kind of lounge wear. And there's people who like to put uh, after the day is over, they like to put relaxing wear on. But they don't put that relaxing wear on in somebody else's home. They put it on in their own home. Now, I don't put on relaxing wear. I put on my clothes for the, the day, and I take them off at night. That's it. <laughs> I don't do relax. My wife will say, I'm going upstairs. I'm going to... Uh, she gets out of the, the, the day-to-day clothes. And she likes, you know, the, the comfy pajamas and, and so forth. I, I've never, in my life, I have never found them comfortable. Never. I don't wear slippers. I don't, uh, I just don't, I don't find them comfortable. I find them extremely uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't like them at all. I'd much rather just, uh, just wear the same thing. If I go home here tonight, and this is the way that it is on, on Wednesday nights when I go on home, uh, I don't take this tie and this, this sport coat off at all. I sit down on the couch and I sit down exactly like you see me right now. My wife is just used to it. She just knows when I come home, I don't take, I don't even take this off. I sit right down. I don't, I've never taken my tie off. Never, don't kick my boots off. My boots stay on. My tie stays on. And I just sit on down and I relax. That's my way to, <laughs> to relax. That's, I know that's strange. I know most people don't do that. And you say, Steve, you're at home. Why don't you relax? No, that is me at home. But everybody is different at home. How are you at home? And you need to be the way that you are at home. But what this is saying is that Christ wants to dwell. He wants to be at home. When you go over to somebody else's house, you don't feel the same freedom to go up into the refrigerator and help yourself to the chocolate milk. To help yourself to uh, some of the leftovers that might be in there. You would ask permission. And as you get to know somebody a little better, you might, they might say, look, if you want something in the refrigerator, just go over there and get it. And maybe you uh, tried it out one time. You weren't quite sure, but you thought, well, I'll try it out and see. And you're watching to see if, and no, they're fine with it. And so after a while, you just kind of, well, this is how we go. This is how we are. There are things that we can do to make Christ at home in our hearts. But many Christians aren't doing that. They expect him to be at home or to dwell and be at home in their hearts because the word seems to indicate that he wants to. 
Well, if he wants to, then he'll just go out there and do it. But there needs to be an atmosphere. There needs to be something done in that. How many of y'all know that there's some places that you visit, some people that you visit, when you step into their home, you are extremely uncomfortable. You are uncomfortable from the time that you got there. You are uncomfortable until the time that you leave. And when you leave, you breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, that's over. Oh, I'm so glad. Or maybe, you know, the husband or wife, you come home and the, your spouse informs you, oh, we're going to go see so-and-so. Oh, no, not so-and-so. Oh, you know I don't like going to see so Why do we have to go over and see so-and-so? You're not at home. That's not a place that you're... They don't, they don't do the things that make you feel at home. You know, some of the things we've, we've uh, looked at before when we had kids and they were growing up, and if you have little kids, you go over to somebody else's house, what's your first thought? What are my kids going to try and get into? What might they get and break? And you're, you're just always watching. Because you go over to somebody else's house, especially if they don't have little kids. Their house is not little kid-proofed. So there's lots of stuff in the low areas that they can get to. Now, when you have little kids in the house, then the, the low areas are guarded. You know, all the, all the things that are low are made high. If you went over to my daughter's house, uh, her and Nikolai, they decorated the Christmas tree, but they learned that the Christmas tree could only be decorated on the first, or the, the upper two-thirds. The bottom third, they couldn't decorate. <laughs> they had a little kid-proof the thing. Now, they may have tried some of them, and, of course, Lumi will get over there, and uh, she's a little bit of a destructo. She'll grab hold of that thing, and let's see how this works. <laughs> Just pull it apart. <laughs> um, but, see, that can make you very un uh, unnerved when you go to somebody else's house because you have to, have to watch this. There are things that we can do that cause Christ to be at home in our hearts. If we can do the things to make Christ be at home in our hearts, and then he relaxes more. If you relax more, then you share more. If you are not at home at a place that you're visiting, not only are you uptight about what might be going on externally, but you're uptight, I can't say certain things. Certain things I can't do. So you're always watching, well, no, I can't talk about that. That's going to get us in trouble. And so I, I need to steer off into, the, into this direction. No, no, I can't bring that up. You know, we don't agree on, on that, that area. That Christ may dwell or be at home in our hearts by faith. This is what he's, he's, or through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we want to get to this place where Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith, that faith is alive in us, that we make an atmosphere where he is at home, but understand this came after something. Look at uh, verse 16 again. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That strengthened and that might has a lot to do with how at home Christ feels in us. It is God's strength. It is his strength that is working through us. But if we don't create an atmosphere in us where that strength can work, where I am strengthened in his might, then he's in a place that is basically not, not as protected. And there's only so much he can do, we need to step into it. And Paul realizes this. Don't lose heart. When you lose heart, 
When you let that, those things discourage you, when you let those questions come up and you begin to question your faith, you begin to question your God, you begin to question all those things that are around you, it has an effect upon you. But I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be walking in that might, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. The degree to which I walk in the strength and the might is the degree to which Christ can be at home in my heart. If you were to, if you were to go over to somebody's house, I'm, you may not even have anybody's houses that are like this, but if you went over to somebody's house and they're in a rough neighborhood and you're always hearing trouble going on outside, you would feel very unrestful being in that house. But if you knew that in that house there were things at play to keep you safe, to keep this, the house safe, that there were people on guard watching over. That would make you feel more relaxed. When we have embassies over in other countries, they have marines, they have helicopters, they have things in place to, to help keep that area safe in case people come on in so they feel a little bit more relaxed. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Not only do we need to be operating in the might and the strength, not only does this need to be going on through faith, but you need to be rooted and grounded in love. And we know, of course, in the Word, that faith and love work together. I can't just walk, walk in one without the other one having an effect in it. Oh, I didn't call, I missed some spots in your outline there. Let me go back over here to the Christ may dwell part. Christ is in our heart at the new birth. Christ is in our heart at the new birth. He dwells there when we learn to reign, when we learn to rule and reign in this life. When I learn how to rule and reign in this life, Christ is able to dwell in my heart. He's in my heart. But when I learn how to do these things, he's able to dwell in my heart. Rooted and grounded in love in Galatians 5, 6, it talks about how faith works by love. In 1 John 4, 18, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. There's a relationship between faith and love. And I need to walk in these to do so has an effect on how Christ can dwell in us, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That rooting and grounding in love has to come before these things can materialize. So he's praying that you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, he prayed for that before. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now love helps, love keeps the fear away. That lets faith operate. Jesus always said when, when people are making a faith statement, when people are making a, a faith proclamation, do not fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. If I let his love cast out all fear, the obstacles to me believing and the obstacles to me having faith in it goes away. That you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded, that's the foundation. You've got to have that foundation. You've got to be rooted. You've got to be grounded. This stuff needs to be on the inside of you. You should not be able to be thrown from being rooted and grounded in love. When the devil says a bad report about somebody, 
that should not move you from being rooted and grounded in love. If you are constantly flip-flopping on people, or if you know people that are constantly flip-flopping, sometimes they're walking in love to you, sometimes they're not, then you are not rooted and grounded in love. You're not given the atmosphere for Christ to dwell in you, and you're not going to see the results that you need to see. You need to make sure that when those bad reports come about people, I am rooted and grounded in love. I'm not going to be moved by those things. I'm staying right here. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. That you may be able to comprehend. The potential is there for you to comprehend this, but it's not automatic. Just because you're born again, just because Jesus Christ is in you, does not put you in a place to comprehend this. That's why he's praying for them. He wants them to get to that place that they would comprehend this. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. The more that devil is able to get me out of my walk in love, the more he's able to get me to question things, the more he's able to get me to question God's love for me, the more he's able to get me out of that, the less I am able to comprehend these things that Paul's talking about. And he knows that. He knows if I can get you to shake in this area of love, if I can get you to shake on, on this, your comprehension of the things that God wants you to know will be shaken. You won't walk in it. But the more that you walk in love, the more that you understand. This is why the Bible is, is a book that we can continually go back to and learn more things from. Because the more that love walk gets a part of me, the more is opened up to me in the Word. I couldn't see that before because I couldn't walk in that kind of love. But now I'm walking in that kind of love. Now my eyes can be opened. I can see this. I can comprehend something more because of what I'm walking in now. I couldn't comprehend that before. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is something that's open for all the saints, folks. It's not certain ones. What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I saw somebody who made a note on this and um, I think they were pulling it from the, some of the Greek aspects of this. Uh, there's of course lots of people out there that know more Greek than I do. But they said the Word there for with has to do with storage space. All the aspects of teaching in the Word is what is in mind here. Don't get unbalanced. But look at the width. There's all kinds of topics out there. There are some Christians, they narrow their focus to a couple of things. Well, I just want to learn about prospering. I just want to learn about being blessed. I just want to learn about faith. But we don't want to learn about the other aspects of faith. We don't or the Word. There are many aspects of the Word, and I need to grow in all of them. I cannot just be a specialist in finances. No, I need to look at all the things that the Word has to teach and learn all of them. The width that is there. Um, <clears throat> length has to do with time orientation. Time orientation. We are in the church age. We are in the church age. Height has to do with our attitude towards God. Depth has to do with our attitude towards men. And if you put all these things together, 
we're looking at make sure that we grow. Or well, let's just read, read that verse again. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width. You may be able to comprehend all the things that are in the Word of God that it teaches us. I can come into a, an understanding of all those things, all those topics. No matter how wide the Word of God goes, I can comprehend it. The length, the time aspect of it. That I can understand the times of the past and I can understand the time of the present and operate accordingly and not get distracted, not get uh, messed up because of a different time and what was going on with those. Then he goes on with the height. My attitude towards God is one that is righteous, one that is right, one that is based on the Word of God. We look at many times in the, in the Bible that the attitude between them and God got messed up. The Pharisees, their attitude toward them and God was messed up and they were doing things that were completely contrary to the ways of God. Jesus even said, if you knew the Father, or if you knew me, you'd know the Father, and vice versa. But they didn't, that whole aspect of things was messed up. We need to make sure that our relationship between us and God is solid and that the more I understand about Him, the more it helps me to understand the other things that I'm dealing with. Depth, our attitude towards men, how you look at men, your attitude to them. This is, this is going to have an effect on you. If you're always bitter, if you're always trying to stir up strife, if you're always messing in other people's business, if you're always hearing God for other people and never hearing God for yourself, if your relationship between you and other people is messed up, it's going to mess up how you see God. It's going to mess up all sorts of things. The width the length, the height, the depth. Williams puts these verses, translates it this way, and that Christ in His love through your faith may make His permanent home in your hearts. May make, may make, may make His permanent home in your hearts. You must be deeply rooted. Your foundations must be strong so that you with all God's people may be strong enough to grasp the idea of the breadth and length and height and depth. That you may be strong enough to grasp the idea of the breadth and length, the height and depth. Yes, to come at last to know the love of Christ, although it far surpasses human understanding. These words here for know, I've looked up in a couple of different places and I keep getting different, uh, uh, different root words that these things are based in. So I just took William's translation and used it this way. To come at last to know the love of Christ, although it far surpasses human understanding. That you will come to a, a perception, an understanding, a knowing of the love of Christ. This comes through experience. This comes through me walking in these things. It's not a, a knowledge that is just dumped upon me. This is a knowledge that comes through walking through it. To come at last to know the love of Christ, although it far surpasses human understanding. My human understanding is not capable of, understand, of, of grasping this. My human understanding is not. But he is praying for them that you would be able to get into this understanding that comes from him. That that strength and that might comes into you. That Christ dwells inside of your heart. That you may comprehend all these things of God. That you'll know the love of God. It passes human understanding. Human understanding cannot grasp this for you. But I pray that you know it. Because then in your spirit you can. 
so that you may be filled with the perfect fullness of God. Here's the end purpose. So that you may be filled with the perfect fullness of God. That's the end result. That's where we want to go. So, there are some things we are to mature in. We are to mature in all areas of the Word in our Christian life. This, this is something we are to do. I am to grow in maturity in all areas of the Word and our Christian life. I can't just become especially on two or three areas because I like them better. I'm supposed to mature in understanding the Word for our time period. I need to know what the Word teaches me for the church age. It's great to know what the Word teaches about the tribulation period, but you're not in the tribulation period. You're not living in that period. It's great to know what the Word did for the period of the law. When Israel was wandering around, it's good to know some of those things. But that's not going to help you live now. You need to come to an understanding of the Word for our time period. You need to mature in your love toward the Father. When we are young, when we're little children, our love is based on very surface things. Did you buy that for me? Did you get that for me? Did you do that for me? And that's where their basis is. And if we ever violate that, and we don't buy the thing, we don't get the thing, we don't do the thing, then there's anger in that little one. But as they grow and mature, they're supposed to grow out of that. And so are we. We're supposed to mature in our love toward the Father. And we are to mature in our love towards the saints. You cannot be satisfied with a life that says, well, I just get bothered by this one. Well, this one's not walking in the things that they should do. Well, this one ought to be over this by now. And then when we talk about it, we think about it. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to mature in this. Father, what can I do to help them? What can I do to turn these ones around? Sunday we're looking at how Paul was thankful for a group of people who had a lot of problems in the church. They created a lot of these problems. But Paul still thanked God at every remembrance of them. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now we love the first half of this verse. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh God, we'll just you know, put this right into our prayers. Oh God, I thank you that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. Except there's a condition on it. According to the power that works in us. You see, if that power that works in us does not grow, it limits what can be done as far as what we think and what we ask. I've got to grow in that power. There's a whole lot of Christians that want to grow in their asking. They want to grow in their thinking. They want to grow in what they can imagine. But they don't want to grow in what they need to. They don't want to grow in the power that works in us. I don't want to provide in my life the things that that power needs. If you're going to have increased power in your life, then you've got to increase the things that are there to support it. If you're going to increase the power in a home, if you're going to take a 15 amp service and increase it to 20 amp service, you have to change out the wires. 
if you're going to change it from 120 to 220, you've got to change out the wires. You can't use the same wires you did for 15 amp and put it on the 20 amp. That's asking for a problem. You've got to change out the wire. Not everybody likes to do that because 20 amp wire is harder to work with than 15 amp. 15 amp is a, is a breeze by comparison. I know I've run both of them. And I'd much rather run 15 amp. But when I ran all the wires down in, my, in the shop, I knew in the shop I can't deal with anything but 20 amp service. Everything's got to be 20 amp. There are no 15 amp plugs in my shop. I put them all in and they are 20. Every single one of them except for the ones that are 220. Some of them uh, have even more ampage than, um, than what is normal for 220. But we, we ran each one. We got the appropriate wires. You've got to put the appropriate wires on the inside. God says you've got to grow in these things. Paul says you've got to grow in these things. And Paul says I'm praying for you that you grow in these things because here's the end result. This is where we need to get you. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Not the power that he has he, that God is able to access the power that works in us. Not all the power that God is able to access works in me. Because I haven't done the things that need to be done to let that power work in me. God wants to. God could do it if I would set the stage, if I would get my life ready for it. But see, I've got to do some things. I've got to get grounded in more areas of the Word of God. I'm just focusing on a few of these areas because I like these ones over here. But I've got to get grounded in all areas. I've got to walk in the love towards other people better. I've got to stop being swayed by every report and every look that I get that, is, that I don't understand and begin to think poorly of other people. Begin to speak poorly of other people. That will hinder you and that will mean that the power that is able to work in you will be limited. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So, if God wants me to be, and I wrote down a bunch of things here for you. There's a lot of blanks, but you'll get them. If God wants me to be bold, but I'm not, it's not humility. It's arrogance or maybe ignorance. You can probably put a few other things in there too. If God wants me to be bold, if He wants me to be confident, but I'm not, it's not humility. I'm not being humble. It's arrogance or maybe ignorance. If God wants me to be strengthened, but I'm not, if, I, if instead of being strengthened, I'm helpless. If God wants me to be strengthened, but I'm not, I'm helpless. It's disobedience. If God says, I want you to be strengthened with all might, but I'm not, I'm helpless. It's disobedience. If God wants me to be a dwelling, but I'm merely a place, I'm not a dwelling, I'm just a place. Just a place that Christ can be. I'm not a dwelling. It's a form of hostility. 
because I'm not doing the things that will make him at home. People who do things who don't make you feel at home in their home, how is it not hostility? They could be hostile to your kids. They could be hostile to you. They could be, un, um, I mean, any kind of unfriendliness, it's hostility to some degree. There's a hostility towards Christ. I need to, I need to tone that down. I need to get it to a place where I'm welcoming, that I'm listening. The Pharisees were not, they were, they were not hospitable. To, to Christ. They were they were hostile. They came in a lot of times challenging him, trying to trick him up in his words. So he's always on guard. That's not a that's not a place where he can dwell and be at home. That's just a place where he is. I want him to be a, in my heart, in my inner man I want him to have a place there where it's a dwelling, not just a place. If God wants me to be one who comprehends, but I'm not, my walk is severely lacking. Because he wants me to comprehend. The ability to comprehend is there. But my walk is not to the point where it will support me comprehending. My walk in love, my walk in faith, my walk in doing the things that I know God has told me to do. If I don't do these things, if I don't get that walk up, that's on me. I could be one who comprehends. I could understand these things, but I'm not. My walk is severely lacking. Think about this. How many people do you know who just cannot comprehend some of the things of God that you know and walk in? You've learned this about God. You've come to that place. But you try and approach them and talk to them about it. They cannot comprehend it. There's a wall that's there. Now you examine that person. Is their walk inferior in those areas that would keep them from that? Is their love walk inferior? Are they uh, constantly brought into gossip? Are they constantly brought into back-talking? Are they constantly brought into undermining authority? You'll see this. This is why their comprehension isn't there. You'll see on that, that level. Now, I have to also understand, well, there's probably some things that I'm still doing that I need to get over so that I can comprehend more. And see, then I get hungry. God, show me those things. What is it that's in your word that I need to quit doing, that I need to go after so that I can comprehend more? Because the more of the world that I get out of me, the more disobedience I get out, the more I get my walk to go in the way, I can comprehend, I can understand things that I couldn't understand before. It's, a, it's our walk. I remember that story Brother Hagin told us about a particular preacher. He had a, he had a great teaching anointing on him, Brother Hagin would say. And he, uh, he, was, he was teach constantly. Uh, just great things. People would constantly enjoy the things that he would bring out, the things that he would see. Well, then he wandered away from God. Something happened. I'm not sure if it was a family tragedy. He began to ask questions. and Anyway, he got away from it, got away from pastoring. And one day, years after, he came upon his, uh, his old study Bible. And he opened it up. He's sharing this with Brother Hagin. He said, I opened it up, and I'm reading the notes that are in the margins. These are notes that I made. This is my study Bible. I made, it's my handwriting. 
I read those notes, I could not understand what I wrote. He could read it, but he couldn't understand it. See, his walk no longer supported that comprehension. The comprehension that you have will greatly be affected by your walk. That's why it's so important that you get your walk right. One who comprehends, but I'm not my, but I, but I'm not. If God wants me to be one who comprehends, but I'm not, my walk is severely lacking. Understand it. God, I gotta get my walk up there. If God wants me to not lose heart, but I do, I'm a questioning doubter. If God wants me to not lose heart, but I do lose heart, I'm a questioning doubter. I need to become and not just satisfied with being. So a lot of Christians are just satisfied with being a Christian. I'm just satisfied with being who I am. I'm just satisfied with whatever faults, whatever things, whatever shortcomings I have. I'm just I'm satisfied to just be. No, we need to become. I need to say, God, I want to become what you want me to become. I want to become the things that Paul's talking about here in this chapter. I want to become these things. Show me what I need to drop. Show me what I need to pick up. Show me what I need to focus on. That I can become what you've called me to become. Last thing, praying often needs to be teamed up with contributing actions and attitudes. Just because you pray for a thing doesn't mean that's going to happen. You can pray these great prayers in Ephesians for yourself, but if I don't have corresponding actions, if I don't start putting to work the things that I know to do, if I don't become a habitual doer of the Word, if I don't get in there and, and keep going at it, I'm going to put this thing to practice. I'm going to not talk bad about people. I'm not going to not think bad. I'm going to think the best about people. And I'm going to do this every day. Whenever I start to see myself veer off, no, no, I'm not going that direction. This is what I'm doing. I'm staying over here. The more that I will do that, I will find that my comprehension will change. Because human understanding cannot grasp what God wants us to get. But when Christ dwells in our heart, He is able to help us to understand and come to a spiritual revelation, a spiritual understanding of these things. But our walk needs to support it. That's why it's so important that we walk out the sanctification process. I get rid of the sins. I get rid of these things. There are, there are principles, there are things in your life that you can't even conceive of them being wrong. Can't even understand how they can hinder you. And so you do them. You, you don't even see how they're against the things of God. But as you grow in this comprehension, all of a sudden your eyes are open. Oh, when I walk and I do that, I'm coming against the very thing I say I want. i got to get rid of that. But you see, I couldn't even see it before. Couldn't even see it. Don't get discouraged when those things come out. Don't get discouraged. Oh, I'm, just, I'm never going to get ahead. No, you now understand something that you couldn't even see. That's progress. Oh, Father, I thank you. Thank you for showing me this. I'm going to get right on it. And I'm going to work. And you get that right on it and you get that thing worked out and you put in the right principles and get rid of the wrong ones. Now, 
your comprehension level, you can understand some other things. Oh. Oh, wow, look at that. I, I didn't even see that before, but I can see that now. That's why I can come back to the same verse of Scripture years later and suddenly see something. I did not know he was talking about that in that verse. And that's where it begins to open up more things for you. Your walk is huge. Paul is praying for them in these areas. Father, I thank you that there is nothing in our life that cannot be changed. Whatever is not lining up with your word, we can get it to line up. And I thank you for the help that you give us to accomplish this. We will not be overcome by sin. We will not be overcome by things that natural human understanding says, oh, that's not even significant. But God says it is. We will trust you. As we pray this prayer for ourselves and pray this prayer for others, just as Paul saw the saints grow, we will see ourselves and the ones we're praying for grow. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.